The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. It's Don't Bet On It. I'm RJ Bell with Steve Cofield. Back in action, baby. And we'll be back in action next week, too. Then the week after, the Belmont will have a special horse racing pod. What a week to be back. Probably the most hot takey topic since we've been doing Don't Bet On It, the National Anthem and the NFL and the league has made an effort to squash the controversy, but it would seem <laughs> even more controversy. We're going to start with that, but first we'll preview. We're going to talk LeBron and whose fault is it that the Cavs are behind right now taping here on Thursday in the series against the Celtics. Stephen A has his thoughts on that. Golden State and a little handicapping tip for me, more of a handicapping tip in that Houston series. Then it's a crossfire. Steve Cofield, the hot take hot shot versus a little guy named Colin Cowherd disagreeing about Ben Simmons. Then we're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Remember, Cofield does 15 hours a week of Las Vegas talk radio. He's on the ground of this phenomenon. We're going to hear all about it. Then I'm going to rant a little bit about the Steelers and then to get off my lawns. As we said, Cofield rapidly approaching 50 He's got some old school ideas. He usually does the get off my lawn. Well, RJ has a get off my lawn this week. Showtime. Woo. All right, Steve, you've proven yourself to be quite left to center politically. And you're, you seem very comfortable putting it out there. So let's start with you. What is your takeaway on the NFL's move this week regarding the anthem? I think it's stupid and it Oh no, I can't believe it, it. It only it only inflames the situation even further. It actually just gave new life to a discussion and debate that may have died out at the beginning of next season. Do you what makes you say it would have died out? Because I think it was dying out each time about every month it was dying out during last season and then the flame was lit again by President Trump, which it's it's a hot button issue for him. And he's a guy who likes, you know, twisting the you know what's of the NFL. I think it was dying. I think it was dying about every four weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, you light it back up again. And I think it was going to die going into next season. Isn't it possible that the NFL officials had knowledge, intelligence that, oh, these players are thinking of doing this or here's how it's going to ramp up? Or could it be that some serious sponsors said, listen, we need this. If we're going to buy in for this year, if we're going to do X or Y, who knows what business deals were contingent upon coming in and, and, and in theory, putting a stop to it right away. I don't know if they had any hard evidence. I know they did run a poll and I, I couldn't, I read the, the story about the poll today and it never really indicated what the results of the poll were. Uh, actually, you know what? It was very much down a racial line on penalizing players. That was the poll question. The NFL ran on penalizing players. Uh, majority 40 plus white said, yes, penalize them. Uh, those who are not 40 plus white minorities 
you know, any sort of diversity you want to talk about were against penalizing them. I think to me, this is just another PR move. And I think that's what most PR move for whom? For the NFL. I so, think the NFL feels like it's placating its most vocal fans. And that's that group that was complaining a lot last year, especially on social media. But by saying it's a PR move, mm-hmm. that contradicts you saying that it was a bad decision. So you're saying it's an attempted PR move that's going to backfire. Yes. Okay. Do you believe that these owners in aggregate, 32 of them, so they could vote, I guess? I'm not sure. Are decisions like this a majority? Are they a super majority? I don't know. But if they voted 32 votes, should there be some kind of restriction? Maybe not this one exactly, but do we got to get control of this? Don't you think that the votes would come in pretty strongly on let's get control of this? Yes, let's get control of it. Uh, but now so we're it's getting- not so much a PR move, but rather what these what Jer- I think Jerry Jones genuinely believes you should mm-hmm. stand up when the national anthem's being played. So the angles I've heard is various, you know, like, oh, well, if you look at the ownership group and their demographic, it makes sense they're going to be, you know, Trump Republicans. And blame, you know, blame everyone, though, because the, the, but, but the, you only need a majority. Well, the problem right now is we're getting weird information on how the vote was actually held, that it actually wasn't a vote. It was sort of just a straw poll of the room. And then we what's hear the difference the, between that and a vote. Because I think it was a very informal deal where but which is we had one, pl- we had it, gives, one, it gives plausible deniability. We had one owner abstain, supposedly Jed York. We had the Jets owner rep, the brother of Woody Johnson, say he's going to pay the fines. And then we had. Uh, Seth Wickersham reporting from ESPN that Mark Davis wasn't in line with this either. Okay. So I'd like to, to see what the vote is and who supported but it. But why does it matter? So you, oh, can, it, so you very, can decide So you can decide who you're going to be mad at because you're so no, against this? Not at all. I think if you're a player, I think you can choose who you want to play for. So the player, the road. So, so you would, okay, f- that's fine. Yeah. So you're saying down the road. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting. I would never want to play for Bob McNair. All right, speak for yourself, talked on this very subject, and Whitlock has certainly had some controversial takes. Let's listen. Because there's kind of a thing going on right now with the media, NFL bad, NBA good. The NBA's got mostly the same policy. You are not allowed in the NBA. The NBA doesn't allow you to, to kneel for an anthem fine suspension to the NFL saying, all right, listen, if you come out, we don't want you to kneel. It hurts business. To me, it feels a lot like the NBA, but I think the NFL will probably get clobbered for it. Clearly, there's an attack on the NFL by the media, uh, and, and they've baited a lot of players unwittingly into being a part of the attack on the NFL. Uh, and so, yeah, the NFL's treated unfairly. The NBA has basically had this policy for decades, and no one thinks that the NBA is oppressing their players. Uh, I don't really like the new direction. I wish they had just chosen. I, I thought they had two options. You know what? We're going to do the national anthem without the players the way they do it in college football, the way we did it previously. Players will be in the locker yeah. room. We'll have the national anthem. That was one option. That's a good idea. The other option that I would have chosen is, okay, if you kneel, if you do any kind of protest, you don't play, period. And just leave it at that. So more than a couple interesting things there. I think Whitlock's take, Kaepernick, let's use him as the best example, has suffered for this. 
And the question is, is it been righteous? And it seems to me, Cofield, that it's unequivocal we suffer. Now, we can debate, do the teams have a right to say, hey, it's a distraction, hey, we don't. And But that isn't the issue. The issue is, and I don't know now if Kaepernick, you know, if he had been out of the league for some other reason, would he be on a team this year if he hadn't done any of this? I don't know because years keep going by and he's not playing. And he wasn't all that great the last year he played. But I think the year after, um, you know, so last year he would have been on a team. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. If, if, there, if there was no problem. Now, again, I, I, it feels to me a team has a right to say we don't want the distraction around this as long as it's not a protected class or whatever. So we that to me is a side issue. What is clear is Kaepernick has suffered. And what Whitlock believes is it's it's sounds like he believes it's a fool's errand as in he's being baited to use his word into protesting and Kaepernick's going to suffer. And ultimately it's foolhardy. That's Whitlock's position. It's a strong position. I mean, strong as in like, like staunch, like not, I don't know many people. It's going to have that position. What's your take on uh, Whit- Whitlock basically saying that, this is a waste of time. I think he's saying it's more. I think he's saying that it's a, a, sh- a charade in a way that that whatever. And I haven't. Have you heard him explain? I mean, I know the gist of it. The gist of it is is Kaepernick's doing something, thinking it means one thing, but he he's wrong about what it means. Meaning that the ultimate result of this isn't going to be what Kaepernick wants it to be, but it's something the press baited him into because they want this fight. But they, but 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 Kaepernick is the one that's paying the price. The press is benefiting because they've got something to talk about, right. right? So in theory, if you're liberal press, you're benefiting at two levels. One level is you got something to talk about, and the other level is you got someone fighting a fight you believe in. But he's taking the slings and arrows. Huh. I mean, I I don't believe what uh, Whitlock is saying, but I could see him believing it if he doesn't think it's going to accomplish anything in the long run, and he's just a pawn in a, a basically a game. That Kaepernick's just a pawn. Or as <laughs> Al Pacino would say in Donnie Brasco, we're just spokes on a wheel. <laughs> Donnie. Okay. Colin's point, and this is an interesting one. The NBA has a more restrictive role. So why aren't they getting heat? Because I think the NBA players believe they're partners with the owners and with the league. They feel more respected. All right, so this is a symptom of a bigger problem. The the the, the hubbub, the conflict over this, and because in theory, in in a vacuum, you would say, "Wait a minute, NBA is a pro sports league, NFL is a pro sports league. I'm an NFL player. I've got more freedom than my NBA brethren. Thus, I shouldn't. If I'm if they're not mad, why should I be mad? Right? That makes sense in a vacuum. But you're saying all these other things." That in general, the NFL players are more disgruntled. That this is just another thing to be disgruntled about. Yep, they've got issues coming up in the labor negotiations with contracts, down to the franchise tag stuff that we've talked about. This anthem stuff, players' rights, also discipline too. There are still a lot of people who are upset with Roger Goodell over the years with these waves of judge, jury, and executioner. Like he should not be the guy handing it down. And a lot of times, the NFL it doesn't make sense. There's there's no rhyme or you know, reason or rhythm to 
what they're giving out, six games, this fine, 10 games, no games. So there certainly is a high-handedness with the NFL. And we're not going to talk much about the legalization of gambling. The one thing that's applicable here, I think, is the way the states have been fighting back. Uh, and it looks like the debate is, are they getting not the league's getting nothing or are the league's getting a quarter of a percent? Is that the way you've seen it falling out? Yeah, there's been a bigger pushback now from states after state. And it's kind of funny to think that the league usually is the one, the NFL Bigfoot and people. And then in this case, the states are Bigfoot and them. Why shouldn't the states take the lead from our president? And what, what the president's bullied the NFL, so we can do it on the state level too. <laughs> well, I think they could bully the states can bully the NFL even without the president's. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, the NFL is consistently losing to the man in charge. So these other politicians, hey, what what are you going to do to us, NFL? But the NFL usually is the bully in the room. It has been. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. And I can't lie, I do enjoy seeing the NFL in in the subordinate position, especially with them being so greedy about wanting money that quite frankly, they lost their bet. They bet on or against New Jersey. They lost. And now they're like, give us money. And I, I, I give, listen, these States are, are expert at splitting up the pie. So <laughs> it's going to be a pit of snakes. So that's interesting, but certainly the league, the NFL has been used to getting their way. And I think that, that high handedness, is is one of the things that has a lot of people disgruntled. So on Colin's point about the NBA versus the NFL, isn't that full proof that the NFL has botched this? That they've botched the whole anthem thing? Because Adam Silver, just making the players feel like they're included in the decision-making, has avoided this whole thing. I the mean, NFL should have been able to do the same thing. But do you think it's easier to make, uh, what is it, one-fourth as many players? Feel included because really, if you what are there twenty players in the NBA? If you make yeah. them happy, the league's going to be happy. And the NFL does have the disadvantage; it's through its own policies that players are on edge all the time because they could be cut at any moment. In the NBA, you have guaranteed contracts, so that would make me a little fatter and more importantly, happier. Yeah. So, a couple other things on this. I would like my employer if I was getting big deals, and even if my play went down, I'm still getting paid in year seven or eight. You still would complain a little bit, though. Of course, that's no, what I, I do. do. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of that, that is Steve Cofield. I'm RJ Bell. This is Don't Bet On It. A couple other things on this anthem. We got a lot more to get to. One is, I think anytime politics gets involved and it's passionate politics, if it looks like you're going against a group, there's going to be a financial... If, if, if the beliefs are staunch enough, if there's enough fire in the belly, they're going to... you know If it's Hobby Lobby, if it's uh, I see people saying they're going to uh, cancel Netflix because the Obama's got a deal. And that you can look on both sides of the spectrum. You get political and you get political and, <laughs> and, and it's going to hurt your bottom line. I, I enjoyed reading those complaints as people are like, I'm only going with Hulu or Amazon. You know, there's angles on Hulu and Amazon that are also very politicized, too. I agree. So there's no options. There's but so it just, But sometimes it feels good. It feels like you're. Uh, and again, I, I listen, 
I don't care. I love Netflix so much. I <laughs> I wouldn't care what the, uh, I mean, within reason, it wouldn't be if any reasonable political position was being had, mm-hmm. I would be fine with it as long as I get my shows. But, but it is comforting to know that, hey, you know, maybe you can have an effect on yeah, someone's business. Or at least you, you feel like you're you having an agree, effect. If you don't agree, like, uh, you know, power to the people. Yeah, at least you feel it, right? Like you got some control. Because I think a lot of this cultural war and everything is a lack of control. People feel like that the world's getting away from them, mm-hmm. that life's getting away from them. And we can debate, is that, you know, is that a reasonable feeling or not? Um, I think the other thing here that's clear cut, and I think whenever the conversation heads this way, it's, it's a mistake, is this whole First Amendment stuff. Employers have a right to restrict what you say while at work. Steve, you're on the radio 15 hours a week here in Vegas, ESPN, is if you ended every broadcast with death to America, and you might say, well, that's an extreme case. Yeah, once you prove the extreme case, then we can figure out where the line is, but we know now there's a line. Is do you, How long would that last, do you think? Probably not too long. <laughs> there, there'd be enough outrage where the owner would come in and say, hey, this is bad for business. Exactly. Now, if you said death to America out on the street after the show, in theory, you're sp- now we all know in reality, there's probably going to be a consequence, but in theory, you have every right to do that. Okay. So there's really no gray with this stuff in that regard. And to me, this idea, now we can say they have the, 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 the owners have a right to restrict it, but it's not in the spirit. And we can all debate that. No doubt. Mm-hmm. But the idea of saying you have a dress code, you have a speech code, you can't curse, whatever it is, an employer has that right, just like the players have a right to protest on their own time. And there'd be, there could be a potential lawsuit, I think, if if the protesting on their own time led to someone being blackballed. So do you dis- as much as you generally are siding with the, the workers as a union, mm-hmm. a son of a union man. You're not a union man, though. Wish I was. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Could use it in radio. But in general, you agree with that? Yes. All right. So whenever you hear that, I think they're getting off topic. Any closing thoughts on this? Lots, but we yeah. have a lot to cover. Yeah, true. <laughs> we could do this forever. Let's keep it going. Next topic, LeBron James and... Listen, as we're taping here Thursday, is Stephen A. Smith had, I thought, a, I actually agree with him. I'll tease ahead, but a strong take on LeBron. Let's hear it. I am not going to completely absolve LeBron because of fatigue. Why, Max? Because he created the environment where fatigue would be such a factor. If he had a star who could put the ball in the hole that you could rely upon, he would not be in this situation. If Kyrie Irving was still on the Cleveland Cavaliers, I assure you they wouldn't be getting outscored. Their backcourt wouldn't be getting outscored 25 to 9. Or like they did in like game two when they got outscored 41 to 3. That would not happen with Kyrie Irving. Not on his worst day. And so as a result, even though it was Dan Gilbert who traded Kyrie, with Kyrie having two years left on his deal. Even though Dan Gilbert, as the owner, made that decision and supposedly LeBron James was on the phone with him saying, don't trade Kyrie. 
the level of nonchalance, dismissiveness, that big brother hovering over you mentality. You're the kid. You're the pupil. I'm the teacher. I'm the master. And that kind of attitude that he appeared to wear on his sleeve is chickens coming home to roost. Because now you need somebody like that and you don't have it. And LeBron James is culpable for that. He ain't culpable for last night. That kind of stuff happens. You can only do but so much. But the conditions under which he had to play last night has everything to do with LeBron James. And he doesn't get to skirt around that. Thoughts, Cofield. Totally agree. He made this bed. Now he's got to lie in it. As the leader of the organization, and he has a lot of personnel power, he could have smoothed everything over with Kyrie Irving, but he decided to say, yeah, Kyrie's a little unhappy. Screw him. I can win without him. And then that whole thing became a mess and was dismantled. That deal, looking back now, that deal was terrible. LeBron has enough power and control that he could have held that team together. But I think it's back to the idea of the thing that makes him, you know, Shakespeare talks about, uh, and, and, and I'm no Shakespeare expert, but and, and, and the Greek tragedy is the fatal flaw. But it's also sometimes the idea that that fatal flaw is the thing that makes the character great is the thing that causes his downfall. Downfall is a strong word here, but downfall this season, perhaps. But the point being, LeBron being so good, so confident, so willing to do whatever, you know, to some degree, do whatever it takes to win, means he's been given total carte blanche in pretty much every other aspect of his life. And you look at a Tim Duncan, who was almost as good. Tim Duncan could have been a prima donna. And said, Duncan said, listen, you guys coach, you, you RC, you do the uh, players, and I'm going to work on my bank shot. Mm-hmm. And to me, the odds are, I'll bet right now that LeBron won't have more titles than Duncan when it's said and done. And LeBron had a lot more talent. Now, is that his fault? Or is that just the fatal flaw that if you're that good from that young of an age, to have perspective would be almost impossible? But in the fact Duncan did is amazing. Still on the person, though, to be able to assess when they're overstepping their bounds, their abilities. <laughs> People can't by definition. They don't know. Yeah. Right. That's the thing is they've gotten away with it. And every other. How do you know? <laughs> T.S. Eliot said, you never know how far you can go to go too far. Well, LeBron, has he ever gone too far? When has he ever paid a price? And not, he could not make, until now. And, and but do you think he is regretting it? Or is he saying it's something else? You think he's really taking culpability? In his oh, own, no, own? not yet. No. No, I'm sure But even if they lose, you think he's going to take culpability? I think it'll be like 15 years from now he'll look back yeah. and say, boy, we had a, a really special player in Kyrie. It worked, and we actually beat Goliath, and then I pushed him away and, and got kno- nothing for him. And who knows if he pushed him away? Maybe it was Kyrie was difficult, but... That was the challenge. I mean, I don't think Scottie Pippen was all that easy to get along with, as far as I can see. And he certainly wasn't after he left the Bulls. But you wonder if Jordan ever got to a point where he's like, screw it, I'll do it without you. Or if Jordan actually had the realization. He obviously never got to that point, because if so, Pippen would have been gone. But but they also, did Jordan have the kind of power to shape that roster that LeBron does? They they had a strong He certainly did year to year, because... If if the Bulls front office would have said no, he would have left the next chance he got. And he never did. Well, he sort of did. Left for baseball. Well, we can debate what that's about. We can do the I think the Bulls I think the Bulls front office had a lot of power. Actually, I'm, I mean I've said it forever. The Bulls 
to me, the front office got, they got a little too arrogant and broke up the team too early. No, I, I don't know if it was too early, as in if they would have went and lost, and you know how much less of a mystique would Michael have if they would have lost the next year. But I think they probably would have been amongst the favorites the next year. But then you hear him saying they were running on fumes. Bottom line is Michael Jordan never had more power than Jerry Reinsdorf. Not, never had I more. Agree. But what I'm saying and is LeBron this. now has, I don't who, they, they don't even have a GM. They have a GM in name. He's got more power. It started last year with the stupid signing of Tristan Thompson for ridiculous money. And then the decision, listen, as the leader of a group or a company, you, you got to assess things correctly. And LeBron could have made that good, could have had it last for at least another year with Kyrie. Of course, you could also or two argue, more years you could also argue Kyrie Irving would have been hurt because he's got a bum knee. And I don't know, maybe LeBron knew that. And Kyrie will oh, never be good on. again. I don't know. Come on. I don't believe that. No. I, I love last week when... Because uh, you don't were, trade for Isaiah if you're worried about someone being injured. There was an unnamed player or unnamed uh, personnel person with the Cavs who's like, that Ainge, he's an effing thief. He robbed us in that deal. And they they presented it to him on uh, one of the morning shows on Boston directly to Ainge. And they're like, hey, how do you react to this? They said, you're a thief. And he just tried to go totally PC. He's like, oh, the deal of the time kind of looked good. Well, there, there was, I, would say, now. I would say the talk radio response at the time was was probably 60% Boston, but it wasn't more than that. No, no most people weren't saying it was a, a complete ripoff. Yeah, it was It was probably a, few, you know, a majority thought Boston got the better deal, but a small majority. People thought IT could come back, he'd be healthy, he didn't realize how beat up he was. And there was also the thought that the Brooklyn Nets weren't going to have you know a decent season and finish with the eighth pick and really be in the running for the number one. And the Cavs could have had a top three pick. No, true, true enough. Um, my yes, last, it's LeBron's fault. So I agree with Stephen A. My last point <laughs> on Michael would be maybe one of the great unsung things he did was to be able to keep that team together. Mm-hmm. You know, with Pippen specific, Pippen was, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth best player in the league. But he could be temperamental. Years. Yeah, and who coach could be temperamental? I mean, so and and when someone was problematic like Rodman, they had a couple years with him and moved on. So Just punch him in the face in practice. A couple of those <laughs> that was stories. Kerr. I thought I it was. It was <laughs> but the the fact of the matter, or one of the jump shooters, I don't know. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that LeBron's had things his way, and it would seem this year he's suffering for it, and and, and I think that's true. But he's playing amazingly well. Got to give him credit for that. And we'll see how the series ends up. Let's talk a little Golden State. In my experience, the public doesn't take into account the the non-big name players, especially when a team is full of them. I think, and the game's happening tonight, so we're, we won't even speak about Golden State-Houston game five. But I think Iguodala is a huge factor. I think the recreational batters out there... Uh, or indifferent to him, but the pros that I talk to every day, big, big deal. I don't know, point, point and a half, two points, but a big deal in this series specifically because of how well he's been guarding Harden and CP3. Yep, big on defense in terms of versatility. The other thing on offense, think about it. If you don't have Iguodala out there to spread the floor, now you have someone who's not offensively proficient like Looney, not that Looney, or <laughs> Jordan Bell. And if you watch game four, I thought this was brilliant on the Rockets' part. James Harden, real man, the more you watch James Harden, he is a dreadful defender. And now they have the advantage. The fourth quarter in game four, RJ, Harden, every time he looked up, he's on Looney or Jordan Bell, or he's also, he's covering Draymond Green as Green's fading to the corner. Now you've got your weakest defender not having to do much, not getting destroyed by Durant or Curry or Thompson off the dribble. 
So the fact that Iguodala is out and not an offensive weapon who can spread the floor and is a little bit of a threat allows Harden to play no defense and not get penalized for it. The square chair coming with some strong analysis. Well, I, I love this series. I love this because uh, from game to game, whoever played and let's go back to offense, whoever's played offense the right way, like team basketball and has stayed away from the ISOs has won. And it's amazing. I never thought Golden State would get suckered into playing isolation basketball and taking a bunch of bad shots. But in game four, down the stretch, what were they, three for 18 in the fourth quarter? And Durant and Curry in the fourth or two of 13. They took so many bad shots, and it wasn't after three or four passes. It was off one-on-one nonsense isolation. The same thing goes the other way for the Rockets. When the Rockets have played really poorly, it's just James Harden dribbling up top from you know beginning of the shot clock down to six seconds and then going wildly into the lane. So actually, we're uh, six minutes left in the fourth in the game. Uh, so what we'll do is at the very end of the pod, we can wrap up any thoughts after game five. Okay. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Very interesting. Crossfire. Crossfire. Oh, no. What are you setting me up with here? <laughs> it's Mr. Steve Cofield representing. Oh, I don't even like the sound of this. Representing Las Vegas. Against Colin Cowherd, topic, Ben Simmons. This is what I've said about Ben Simmons. Everybody says Ben Simmons can't shoot. Okay. Let's go to the smart guy argument. The Philadelphia 76ers are better at 19 crucial categories when Ben Simmons is on the floor. I'll give you six, not to confuse you. Points, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, fast break, points in the paint. 19. Of the 20 offensive categories we found, they were better in when Ben Simmons was on the floor. By the way, two of them are shooting. That's funny because he can't shoot. Oh, you mean he gets open looks for everybody else? They were better defensively in virtually every category with Ben Simmons. Dumb guy. Can't hit a jumper. He's no good. They're better significantly as a team shooting the ball when Ben Simmons is on the floor. Analytics take out the simplistic guy drop 30, he's great. They tell you what you gave up. Is the team pass better with you? Do they defend better with you? Are they less selfish with or without you? Okay, James Harden last night, analytically weak, Guy four beers in at a sports bar, drop 30 was awesome. Well, Cofield, that was a, he threw the gauntlet down. I don't know if he heard you on straight out of Vegas, but probably not. But you had some strong opinions about Ben Simmons. Maybe share the, the listen, don't make, I got the tape. Mm-hmm. Don't make me go to the tape. Tell the truth. What did you say? I don't believe Ben Simmons should be the full-time point guard for 30 plus minutes at the point for the Sixers. So you're saying not only isn't he going to be an all-time great player, he shouldn't be starting. I didn't say that. No, no. He shouldn't play point guard in the Sixers lineup for 30-plus minutes a night. Someone else needs to play point for much of the time, and he can play backup as the point about 15 minutes a night. he should be a backup. He's going to be on the floor as a small forward. So if he plays, say, 34 minutes a night, the ideal is, hey, 20 minutes or so at small forward, about 15 behind a better point guard. To Colin's point, we understand the Sixers are 
a good team and they're better with Ben Simmons on the floor. My argument is they're not as good as they can be in the future until they get a real point guard, a real point guard who can play defense against small, fast guys, a real point guard who can run the offense a little more efficient, efficiently. And the other thing they have to take advantage of with Simmons and, and for some reason they can't do it with him bringing the ball up and being 20 feet from the basket is they need to play him more often against mismatches and get him inside a lot more. So he has point guard skills. He just shouldn't be the point guard all the time. And I'm telling you this draft, they've got a top 10 pick again. They better take a point guard because Marco Fultz ain't a point guard. He's a shooting guard. And Ben Simmons to me is not a point guard. My, my bigger thing on this is the league is going to small ball. The Sixers are going to big ball. Okay. So what he's saying, though, is that your take is the dumb guy take. Not is at all. It, well, yeah, because he's saying that Ben Simmons played point guard this year. And Ben Simmons played, if you look at the advanced analytics, mm-hmm. not the dumb guy right. stats, that he had an amazingly good season. Right, because we, at don't, point guard. we don't know what a point guard, what level that point guard would take them to. Of course, they're better with Ben Simmons on the floor. But it, they the, don't have another option. But, but What are we saying? Uh, I mean, to me, the dumb guy is... So you're saying Ben Simmons is so good yes. that he can play out of position yes. and still be one of the 10, 12 best, or sure. 20 best players in the he league. He can absolutely contribute at He's the that point good. for not 15 contribute, minutes Not contribute. He can be the He can be best. one of the 20, 22 best players in the league. Sure, just like LeBron. LeBron plays multiple positions. But it, so, so Ben Simmons and LeBron are the two that could do that. At that size? No, there are some others. There are some others who are incredibly well, So you're putting Ben Simmons. Where, right now, if you were starting a draft, if we were doing the old draft game, and everyone's getting redrafted, just for one year, though, because so youth doesn't matter. Oh, is this, this year? This upcoming year, next year. Where does Ben Simmons go? Where would I take him? Yeah. I don't know, 12th, 13th, 14th, around there. Okay. I don't think he's so a you top think 10 he's, player. But still, 12th, 13th, 14th is amazing. He's a great player. No okay. doubt. All right. So you were, but but the idea he's the 12th best player is the point guard? <laughs> you can't pound your fist too hard that he's at the wrong position. Sure, I can. Because I think he can be even better as a small forward because he has the ability to get closer to the basket, work in the wing, work in the baselines. I'll give you credit. You You... Stood up for your position. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, I respect. I'm telling you, my bigger thing is watch the way. I was, like, I was complimenting you. I know, you. I know. You stepped on. I know, I should have just. Lit. <laughs> but uh, as the league goes to small ball, uh, it's very important that you have versatility on defense and you also have shooters. So you're right. That might be the dumb guy take. And can Ben Simmons become a shooter? Of course he can. Jason Kidd was one of the worst shooters in the history of the NBA from long range when he first came in the league. He was more than respectable by the end of his career from three. He just has to add. He's got to add that 18 to 24 footer. And I think he'll do it. Let's go to the Vegas Golden Knights. And wow, what a story. (laughs) 500 to one. I put a ticket out on my Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Which was, how much was it? It was for 25,000. Let me look. That was a $50 ticket. It was 50. I saw that one. Yeah, 50 to win 25,000. Yep. Wow. Biggest one out there, I think, is 100. A hundred Holy camole. So it's fun to look at those tickets for sure. Uh, could be the biggest loss in the history of any single event in Las Vegas. Some books it will be, some books it won't. And it's caused there was so much of that. It was such a big long shot. We did some analysis with a sports odds on uh, sports odds history online helped us where 
no team this century, so 2000 on, was more than 100 to 1 to win the title in any sport, any of the major sports, college or pro, including hockey, obviously. The fact that 501 is going to win, that would have hurt the books in general, probably. In fact, it was the Vegas team the first year. So you're on the ground 15 hours a week, talk radio here in town, ESPN. What are you, we've been talking each week pretty much about what you've been hearing from Vegas. Give us an update. Well, I mean, it's the hottest ticket in town right now. So get in price for the Stanley Cup for this uh, Golden Knights cap series that starts on Monday. Get in price. I think the average is like $950, which is pretty insane. For a sport that a lot of people thought was, uh, you know, on the downslide and struggling, it's worked here. The winning has helped. But, man, people have embraced this thing. So you think if this team would have been 500, they would have really embraced it? I would have been embraced to a certain level because they, they already sold out most of their uh, season ticket allotment. They had done that to the tune of like 14,000 season tickets. But, I mean, this is nuts. You're talking get-in price last series of 500. Now this one's 900. The merchandising off of this. I mean, there, there are people. I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm just not. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm also cheap uh, <laughs> that way where, I, you know, going out and getting my Western Conference gear, people were lined up at local sporting goods stores, like tearing the place apart to get their Western Conference gear. Uh, it's an amazing story. I've never I've never covered a story like this anytime in, in Sports Talk Radio. I tried to come up with a list, like my most fun runs as a fan with the so teams I follow. In, you've been in Vegas since when? Since 96. What do you think? Well, let's get the li- your history with the fun follows, and then I want to ask you a question. What's, what's what's the most fun run you've ever had as a fan? Was but, it when you were a little tyke and rooting for the Steelers? Yeah, I mean, but I don't remember. But see, back then when the Steelers were really winning, I was between uh, five and ten years old, right. so I don't remember that as well. I remember rooting for them. Uh, I was really into some Pirates series in ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, those three, were pretty cool. Yeah, I, I threw Sid a dream. I threw a, oh, I th- <laughs> I threw a book I I threw a book through a wall up at Ohio State. Uh, the, the, that Bream play is is you know those cheap uh, stucco walls. Yeah. I oh man was I mad because yeah. and again at the time when they win when you're nine and then now you're twenty one twenty two it's like if it was like forever right and obviously it's been since and I gave up on the Pirates not because they're losing but because they won't keep their players. And I believe if you keep supporting a team that does that, you're encouraging them to keep doing it. Yep. You got to resist resistance. But I, you know, the, I would say the Steelers in 2005, for whatever reason, I had a feeling because it, it lined up well. Because if I had to go on the road, it was going to be against Jake the Snake. And they had won five straight to finish the year. They had the Bengals in the first round. Colts was obviously a, a surprising win. But I, uh, and it had been, what, 26 years, 25 years since they won the title. And I've told this story once or twice, but I'll, I'll tell the end of it. I was in LA for a, um, industry event, you know, they had the big spreads and everything I was, you know, enjoying. And, uh, with my girlfriend at the time, well, I was at the Beverly, uh, Hilton, which is kind of a cool hotel, kind of famous. And I woke up in a leather jacket. No shirt next to the toilet. I didn't puke, but somehow, some way I knew to get towards the toilet. (laughs) 
That was that That's was a fun run. That was the celebrate. <laughs> that was the culmination. The culmination of the run. What about you? Uh, mine are mostly cheesy. Uh, you know, it's funny. One of the, the it doesn't even have to be a championship you win with your team. One of my most enjoyable runs was actually the 1995 Yankees. When I mentioned Yankees as a Yankee fan, people were like, they always win. No, they actually weren't real good in the 80s at times. And they weren't good at the beginning of the 90s. And that's how they got a lot of those players in the draft. So the fact that they went back to the playoffs, I was actually, I think it was at the first game uh, against Seattle. And I thought it was cool. It's like, hey, they finally made it. Now, looking back, it's like, oh, Yankees always win. You're right. They've had a lot of wins since. They've won championships. But after you... After no, you have, no, I agree. After Especially at a, a certain spell, age. Especially at a certain age. Thing. After you have a dry spell of 15 or 20 years and you, you go through that frustration, you know, finally getting back just to the playoffs is a cool thing. And that's one of the angles nationally that's been pushed. Like people are, are pissed that the Golden Knights are here and they're like, their fans don't deserve <laughs> it. They haven't had to go through the pain. It's going to be less rewarding when they win. Can I tell you on the ground? Well, most, I think that's true. Mo- you know, that's a it's a great debate because it goes back to your pirate point. Um, do we have to suffer for 10 and 15 years? Listen, I was to, to really feel a championship. Listen, I the only Super Bowl I attended was the Steelers beating Arizona, which was one of the most amazing endings. Maybe the most amazing and one of them now, I guess there's been some good games since. That was not a third as exciting as when it went after 25 years because right. it was three years later. Right. So if it's the first year, you can be all enjoying it, but you're not going to feel that like, and that's what, to me, it's one of the great things about sports. If you are a true fan is it can be like when the Steelers won it that year, if you would have said, you know, how much personal success would you have traded for that? You know, in that year, right. You know, I would say if I was in, again, it's easy to say, well, if you got your house paid for whatever, but I'm not sure I wouldn't have given up 20, 25% of my annual salary or I I don't have a salary, (laughs) but my annual earn because I was so invested. Now that sounds stupid in one way. Yeah. And the other way though, how glorious is it that, that you can have something and it makes you feel more like a kid because when you're a kid, things matter. Yep. And when you're a grown up, everything that matters doesn't have a lot of joy to now. You know, if you're a parent and you have kids, oftentimes it's that balance of it's a lot of work, a lot of torture because you're worried, you're, you know, kids getting sick, but then you have the joy. But other than having kids, think of all the pursuits that a typical 18, 19 year old had. They might be in a band. They might be trying to go out to play Division three football. There's all these things. They're, they're writing poetry. They want to write a book. Maybe they're a political activist. When you're 45... Or 35? <laughs> other than having a kid, other than vicariously living through a softball game, you know, a t-ball game or something, which obviously there's joys to that. that I'll are, tell you, if you're, if you're 48 <laughs> and the Patriots lose the Super Bowl to the Eagles, that's a good feeling. <laughs> I gotta show or, you, you can have schadenfreude too, right? I got to show you some pictures. Now, I may have been a few beers and shots <laughs> in, so that added to the... Uh, the jubilant attitude, but man, I was happy. But what are the, what's the vicarious joy? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I'm a humongous and people that are regular listeners. know I'm a humongous Bob Dylan fan, humongous. So when he won the Nobel prize, I mean, the first musician ever to win the Nobel prize of literature. And then that night, amazingly, he was playing in Vegas at the Cosmos. So I saw him 
the, the day he won the Nobel effing prize and he played the guitar for the first time, like in six or five years because he has arthritis. So he can't play the guitar, but he played it one song and celebrate. Well, why else would he have? Right. And he never played it after for a long time. So to me, I vicariously love that because I'm such an advocate of Dylan. But is, it, is that it now? Is that, that, is that the end of the road? That was your last moment of joy. Because, <laughs> Winning a big bet, maybe vicarious <laughs> Being joy. Right on the Ben Simmons argument, <laughs> but no, <laughs> you're right though. Vicarious joy, because I don't feel that way about the Steelers anymore, and and some of it's just getting a little older. I think Le'Veon Bell, and some of it stupid is stupid holdout. Yeah, what well, you know, and some of and it you get is, more cynical as you get older. Some of it though is I really think the Steelers had special players back then. When you have a guy like Heinz Ward mm-hmm. that had one more year left. He he could have got. He said, "I want to retire, Steeler." Now people might say he's an idiot, but for him, that's glorious. Uh, or to me, it's glorious. He felt that way. And you look at that. You know that Steelers had a lot of players in two thousand five, six, seven, eight that I really like. That was a guy. If I had a kid, I'd want him to babysit my kid, kind of thing, or you know, mentor my kid at the YMCA. Speaking of that, here's some sound we've got. Of Mr. T talking to some kids. And this is the truth. Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, it happened to me in Mexico City. (laughs) God, I want to hear that story. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Mr. T. He's talking to kids in the park. And so to me, it was being younger. It was they hadn't won. But it was also I loved a lot of those. I mean, Ike Taylor. Mm -hmm. Ike Taylor, there could be. Uh, both his ankles could turn back and his, his his neck could go around three times. He'd be out for two plays. I mean, they called him nails. <laughs> when you have an NFL player, they call him nails. Yeah. How tough are you? And to me, that's just, you know, maybe I'm a little old school with that. But what else is there, though? If it's not sports, yeah. what maybe you can love a band. You know, I guess that's what I was saying with Dylan, but like kind of that almost famous. At kind this age, it's probably kids. Yeah. So you're out. I'm out. Yeah. So I want to ask you, how come I don't think you've gotten into the Vegas Golden Knights story, which surprises me because part of the reason I'm into it is I, I, I consider myself a Las Vegan and I defend this city and I, I really love Las Vegas. You know, I love the, the lack of rules and we're not, <laughs> no, I mean, we're, the people aren't, you know, no, you're not it's not to, like Mexico city, <laughs> not trying to legislate morality. You know, there's a lot of freedom here. I, I really like it here. I like the, the size of the town, the convenience. So I've gotten, I'm not, and I'm not a hockey guy. I've told you that, uh, but I've gotten into this Vegas golden Knights thing more and more and more. But as a Las Vegan, I don't think you have, and I'm surprised because you love Las Vegas. I'll tell you this. And, and I, I think the same would have the same thing. If UNLV had gone on, with their run for you know a longer time in, into say the late nineties, early two thousand no, no, no. when we first came to town. Ho ho we I was a ho- huge fan back before. So imagine if you lived here. I was watching the midnight, I had yeah. the UNLV hat. I, I mean the Tark was my kind of guy. I mean, and the way they would come out in the second half and press if it was a close game and then they'd play the amoeba. And I loved the Tark. Oh, and this town still, the legacy of the Tark. I just don't like hockey. I mean, in my whole life, I've watched less than 20 minutes of hockey. Which is, people always say to me, that is so weird. You grew up like. No, I grew up an hour from Pittsburgh. Right. You should. And I mean, Pittsburgh's, you know, it's funny. All the ratings are coming in. Pittsburgh's actually still the strongest market 
for local ratings in the NHL. Vegas is like is doing well and is second in this miracle season. Pittsburgh's still ahead of Vegas. So you were you never liked hockey? I'll tell you this. There were like nerdy kids that would come up, we're playing football and say, let's play some hockey. They'd break the stick and 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 kick them down the street. I mean, it was like only nerds like talk. Now I know hockey's a a tough sport, uh. so I'm not saying I would have been. I was too tough to play hockey. It was just it just seemed nerdy, maybe because you had equipment. I don't know, but obviously it's a tough sport and people love it, especially now that it's on HD. People, you know, 1080 or whatever, they rave about. You can see the puck. So I don't know. I've gotten into it. So. And, 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 but what, here's the last thing about this. I want to ask you, this is a very transient town. People come, people go. It's a very transactional town. Um, I mean, literally it's all, like you said, the whole kind of freedom thing. There's a flip side to it is it's all about the money. The city he invented was Las Vegas. And that invention is, is as a Darwinian as, you know, survive with the fittest as you're ever going to get. The Vegas strong with the shooting was to me a shocking, you know, the community response to that shocked me. Did, did it shock you? It surprised I, me that it was I that know strong. it was life and death. There's, there's a lot of uh, the way Vegas is built. It's neighborhood to neighborhood and neighbors barely know each other and people work down on the strip and then they go home and don't talk to each other. So the fact that the community bonded together was surprising. Not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just different than it had been. Exactly. And to me, this feels like an extension of that, that, mm-hmm. that I don't know if it was because something fundamentally had changed before and we didn't notice it till Vegas strong or if the Vegas strong was the cause. And now the community, it just feels like more of a community than, than I, than, than I've ever seen with can anything. I, can I tell you something else that's been interesting in a time where we seem more divided you know, culturally and by race, there are certain bars I go to and you look around and you're like, this is not your stereotypical hockey fan. Like everyone is down with it. All parts of town, all neighborhoods. And you got to wonder once the Raiders are in town and there's an alternative, Yep. you know, how much, cause this is the only game in town right now. Cause UNLV is not good at anything. Uh, the Raiders are going to be freaking gigantic. There's been thoughts outside the market that it's not, the Raiders and the NFL won't be big here. It'll be oh, massive. I mean, if they, if they accept hockey this way, how were they going to think of the NFL? And it's so a place to the image of the city, too. And now that there's gam, I mean, yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, last topic is get off my lawn. <laughs> All right, we got two of them this week. We're going to go half sp- or half time on each. I've got one. First time ever. Cofield? So th- this is a uh, an excerpt from Lindy's magazine that I thought was just weak. Uh, not not to write it; it's actually kind of fascinating. But the fact that there's an anonymous coach saying this, talking about the Tennessee program, uh, I just think Butch Jones did a complete horse bleep job, and I don't think they have very good players. Tennessee is supposed to have great players. I think South Carolina has better talent. Butch Jones overrated and did a terrible job. The anonymity of this pisses me off. Like I like as a media member that you can get these kind of quotes, but we talked about Butch Jones a while ago and you really turned me on to something interesting. The fact that he joined the Alabama staff kind of without a title that he is not embarrassed after because there are people out there like our buddy Clay Travis who say, Hey, that guy should be embarrassed. The one, this guy here, this unnamed coach, put your name on it, bro. You want, I mean, right. You're going to name call. God, I hate one of the things, you know what real get off my lawn. Stop subtweeting. Stop. People out there who subtweet, who badmouth others and don't say their name, 
Say their name. You want to be a tough guy and say someone did a horse crap job? Put your name on it. <laughs> God, I hope it's another head coach. We know it's not saving. Imagine if it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you listen. Maybe it's Jeremy Pruitt, the coach of Tennessee now. He's like, this team sucks. That guy did a horse crap job. Look at what I got to work with. As you get older and then there's things that are or the, the new generation or multiple generations new are doing, you always got to be suspect of poo-pooing it because some of it is you're missing something. But I think unequivocally there's good parts of social media. And I also think his Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. <laughs> but I also think that there's unequivocally bad things and, and, and the, the negativity and the, as you said, the anonymity around the negativity, yep. it's hard to imagine that's any good. No, be accountable. You want to step up and slam people, put your name on it. But in a weird way, it, the venting, you know, there's all, you know, the different theories or conspiracy theories about the Illuminati run things, or there's all these, you know, the, these people that sit around a table deciding the world and not, you know, at uh, the different conferences in Europe or whatever. Uh, what was that? Davos or yeah, that's not the right one, but there was some uh, that ended with, uh, I think it was around Davos or something, but uh, maybe it was Davos is where, you know, president Trump went this year and, and it's like all the, the powerful people in the world are there hanging out, deciding things uh, on billions. They had a Bob Dylan song at the end this week. And it says the wise men or he goes, the masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools. So it's like, if you're a master, you're controlling everything. Doesn't matter how smart the people below are. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I don't think there's six people or whatever around the table. And you've got a crappy job. I said, or you think it's a crappy job, right? I mean, you're better off than most of the world, but okay. Is, but you can be at a bar and, 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 and show your bicep uh, or something and take a picture and get seven likes. If that makes you happy, yeah. then you're probably not protesting very much or you're not you know, going to overthrow the government. Right? So it, it, I think unequivocally people are really emotionally tied up in it, in social media, in a way that seems such a transition from the way it was 10 years ago. So it's like, how has the world changed so much? But if I was a bill, if I were a billionaire, I would love it because I'm thinking, hey, give them their phones. They're not going to storm the castle. Right. So I think not only are people making money from social media, I think it's keeping people. Now, hey, they can all get together and decide, hey, we're going to have a, a march or something. And in a way that's empowering. But the question becomes, if you're on your phone all the time, what are you really going to do after? So. I mean, you being a pretty political guy, do you think net, as much as crazy as this might sound, I think net net social media probably leads to less truly meaningful political action, even though they can organize easier, even though they can do some stuff that looks and feels good like a march. I wonder if the obsession with it takes away from the bandwidth to do much else. It's a good question. I don't have an answer for that one. Good question. I feel like people are more active now, but you're right. There's so much time wasted on phones and social media that you look up and you're like, hey, I don't have time to do it now. Yeah. And, and really <laughs> what, what motivates you? Why we were talking about why young people do things. It's because it feels like it means something. It feel it means more because you don't have other concerns. 
So this mean this March or this whatever means more. Right. When you're 35 and 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 or 45 or 55, there's usually other bigger concerns. Now, that's lamentable at times, but it's true. But now it's like, hey, if life isn't causing you bigger concerns, well, you better worry about making sure you tweet something out, you know, after your date or who knows what they're all doing, right? Because I I understand Twitter pretty well. I don't understand Instagram <laughs> at all. Right, what they're doing. I'll see like a picture and it has like 7 million likes. And I'm like, I don't get it. Do you get it? No. I get I, it for some hot chick or something, but I don't get it. I have it on my phone and I barely use it. I'm like, I don't get the purpose of it. I mean, it's obviously visually based. Yeah, I'm not very photogenic. So what am I going to do? <laughs> I actually never, I don't think I ever send pictures out of myself. I just take pictures of where I'm at. And I don't know if people care. And your food, I'm sure. I just we <laughs> go do karaoke and I just freaking film people doing karaoke. I'm like, this brings no value to anyone else in the world. What by, am I doing? By the way, update, Houston wins. Houston wins at 3-2. Plus 195 for the series. Uh, yeah. Should have bet, bet plus 420 after game one. It was plus 420 Rockets to win the series. Speaking of Twitter, is on the Dream Preview, the other podcast. And by the way, just search for RJ Bell, subscribe, and you'll get every podcast, including Don't Bet on a Dream Preview, interviews, etc. And other special things we're doing this summer is... I said bet Houston and the response on Twitter after game one was, uh, Oh, how do you like Houston now? Or Jay? And well, how do you like me now? Well, let's wait one more game. Over yet. One more game. I was crowing about my 26 to one uh, Eastern yeah. conference win. For I, I'd, the Celtics. Feel pretty, I'd feel pretty good. You, you slipped that in there, by the way. Still some nerves. Still some nerves. Got to close it out. You slipped that in there. Why not? 26 to 1. I'm, it's I'm true. only right like once it's a, a good, year. it's a good time. At Steve Cofield on Twitter before my get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. At Steve Cofield. C-O-F-I-E-L-D. Here's mine. It's simple. And I never say society today. I walk down. Now, I live in a working class neighborhood. I've been in the same house since 2000. Right, because all the money goes back into pregame. And that's I like your truth. neighborhood. That's the truth. It is work. Pregame.com. I love that. And again, you were talking about your union background. My dad, 33 years in the coal miners union, the United Mine Workers. And uh, my mom was 30 years in the teachers union. I was never, I was always like the Alex P. Keaton, you know, free markets. So as a kid, I didn't know anything, but <laughs> I walked down to my mailbox yesterday. And there's a note and, and it's one of those, there's like 30 or maybe 20 mailboxes. So the mailman doesn't have to go to each house. He just goes to, you know, on a given block, there might be two of them. So he can just load all the mail up and you just walk, you know, I'm like six houses. I got to walk. I get there and it says mail needs to be picked up until we fix the locks. I'm like, what's wrong? Someone came and put super glue in every lock. Not my log, not anyone's log. Every log. Now think about that. <laughs> How much is that going to cost? Um, I kind of think it's going to be seven, eight hundred bucks to completely replace a big, you know, one of those big mailbox units. Mm -hmm. And with the unions, who knows? <laughs> but I, I get it. The kid's like twelve, and I hope so. But imagine, odds are, it wasn't a twelve-year-old. Like what now if you I get if you want to say I hate Subway or I hate, you know, company XYZ, not that it makes sense to me, but I get you throw a rock through their window because you hate them. What are you accomplishing? Like, do you hate the U.S. mail? 
I wish you had video. I wish we could finger who this idiot is. <laughs> but doesn't it? It doesn't it seem What's like going through like, your head? Doesn't it seem like one of like the least logical things you could do? I mean, if it's a kid, kids are putzes. You never did anything stupid. No, you back on. You're I like, did a lot. Did I, that? I did a lot of stuff stupid. That's what I'm saying. I hope it's a kid because then I can excuse it. Oh, you think there's some grand cause behind it? <laughs> I don't know. No. I think it's some 22-year-old that's pissed off, maybe. Oh, no. I, you think it's a kid? I, I can't imagine it's someone who had a cause. I'm going to get back at someone. Who? Maybe it's against Amazon because the postal rates are too low. Ah, who knows? All right, guys. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> this has been Don't Bet On It. We'll be back next week. Subscribe, Twitter, all that. Talk to you then.